Welcome to the Realmcast. I'm your host, the Mortal Kombat fan, Tim. And with me, as always, is my co-host, the lore master, Yanni. Welcome, Yanni. Thanks, fan Tim. And today we got a special guest, uh, someone who's kind of notorious right now throughout the uh, Mortal Kombat community. Welcome, Brandon. <laughs> hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Brandon, so you are known as, uh, I guess right now, you are the Mortal Kombat movie script leaker. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not the original person to leak it, but I was one of the people to actually um, give out the information on it. Yeah. So today we got a great episode, I think, for all of our listeners. We're going to start off kind of going through non-spoiler stuff. And then that way, uh, when we get to the spoiler section, you have a chance to uh, cut off the episode and just wait and be surprised at the movie theater. Or if you can listen in and kind of hear what we're talking about. So... Tell us a little bit about yourself. Who actually is your favorite Mortal Kombat character or game? Uh, actually, my favorite character is Scorpion. Uh, he wasn't at first, though. I started playing Mortal Kombat with the home release of Mortal Kombat 2. Actually, my best friend got me into it when we first met. He invited me over to his house and uh he's like i have this game it's called mortal Kombat." so we started playing it and i fell in love with it immediately that was back in 94 did you uh play on super nintendo or sega super nintendo cool <laughs> yeah it was uh my favorite character at the very beginning was reptile and yeah, then i eventually uh-huh. switched uh scorpion because i actually liked his moves better and then as i got into the lore i really i don't know bonded with the character a little bit i really resonated with me so you were a mortal Kombat fan before before you actually got your hands on the scripts, did that kind of uh, impact you seeking the script out? Yeah, uh, it really did. Um, I've been collecting screenplays for about 20 years now, and uh, I really sought out. I really wanted to just get an idea on what the production was like and uh, what they were the direction they were uh, headed in. So I kind of uh just asked around kind of went through a couple contacts and lo and behold i was able to get a hold of the 2016 draft and then you ended up getting a hold of the 2018 script also yes actually someone came to me regarding it and actually gave the script to me and that was due to uh the first video that i ever did on uh the 2016 draft so you've managed to read through both of them and compare them both but that's not currently the scripts that they're going off of necessarily Correct. All the screenplays have a general, um, maybe 70% is the same Mm -hmm. with a little bit of a a nip tuck here and there. But there was a January draft, January 2019, and then they revised it again into a shooting script for September 2009, which is when they started production. Well, so we'll go into that a little bit more when we get to the spoiler section. But how did the script rank for you among the scripts that you have? Uh, were they scripts that you actually enjoyed reading through? Or uh, I know you've been kind of critical online with some of your reviews of them. <laughs> yeah, the the 2016 draft, I wasn't I wasn't a fan of. I mean, it and part of the reason for that, like I knew it was in trouble. As soon as I looked at the title page, there was five different writers uh, mm. that had credit on on the page. And I was like, OK, that that's not good at all. I mean, if you remember Mortal Kombat Annihilation, there was four different writers on that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> yeah. it's never good when you have too many cooks in the kitchen. And it's oh, never yeah. good when you compare it to Annihilation either. <laughs> no, no. And it was a neat idea. But I really enjoyed the 2018 draft a lot more. I mean, there's a few things I don't like, and I can see it from both sides. 
uh, from the filmmaking side and from a fan's point of view, they're going to be two different opinions, but I can appreciate what they're doing. And it reads very well. Once Russo was allowed to uh, get full control and just go with that story and rewrite it to how he wanted to see it, he mm -hmm. really was able to kind of bring it together and make it work. That's great to hear coming to going from a dumpster fire to something a little bit more managed and polished is always good news when, when you're hearing about an upcoming movie. So tell us what actually inspired you to release the script or, or to release spoilers for the script in the first place? Yeah, I think that should be the distinction there is I never uh, released the, the screenplay, though I did have a lot of people contacting me wanting this thing. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Not surprised. Yeah. Out of respect for the, the filmmakers, I wasn't going to outright leak it because it still technically is studio property. And I didn't want to just throw it out there and then everyone's talking about this thing and giving every single detail. I mean, that's the worst thing you want to ever do with a, uh, a movie. Um, mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino almost didn't make Hateful Eight when the screenplay got leaked. So mm -hmm. the last thing I wanted to do was deny the entire world another Mortal Kombat movie, whether or not it's going to end up being good or bad. But uh, what, what inspired me to leak the information was I just wanted to talk about the movie, really. And at the time, I was starting a YouTube channel, and I ended up doing a video review of it. And then again, with the 2018 draft, around nine months later, I did like a follow-up. And part of the follow-up was just because I just wanted to talk about the movie, and it ended up snowballing into this uh, almost tidal wave of hate that came towards the movie. And I was like, ooh, maybe I should have uh, dialed <laughs> back a little bit of my opinion, because I just saw a lot of people just saying some really nasty things regarding the movie. And I don't know if you remember this, but the previous year, uh, 2018 in the summer, it was actually that hashtag show were the ones that leaked the initial information on the movie. Um, oh, yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they had the same draft I did. Now, I I wasn't um, I wasn't I had the copy of it, but I wasn't talking about it at the time. And mm -hmm. I noticed that their descriptions were completely messed up. And that started the initial hate towards the movie was because whoever wrote those descriptions had no idea what the games were like. You could just tell immediately. Oh, yeah. And I think that's what kind of upset fans initially was that they read through those descriptions and were, were like, oh, this is not good at all <laughs> already. Liu Kang being a fire-throwing ninja was never a thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, speaking of that, like what sort of, uh, what did you think of certain reactions, I guess, to all the leaks in the script itself? Uh, any, any that stuck out to you? I've seen um, uh, like casting sheets before, which is what that reminded me of. And at the time, I kind of felt like maybe that's what that was, is they transcript a casting sheet for uh, for actors uh, because I actually read the leaked casting sheet for the first Resident Evil movie. Uh, so it was very similar. And a lot of times that means it's someone that works in Hollywood, probably never even played Mortal Kombat. So they're just mm -hmm. typing basic descriptions. So instead of saying uh, Liu Kang's, a, you know, a shallow monk and he's going to have fire abilities, they just sum it up as fire throwing ninja. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Mortal Kombat has ninja and Liu Kang has fire so <laughs> yeah so a lot of times it's very simple it's not really reflective of the fandom so that kind of stuff usually doesn't get shown so when the the leaked character bios or the uh casting sheet was actually released there was of course quite a bit of uproar in the fan community do you think it was all justified from the fans at, after actually reading the script or do you think we just got 
got, you know, too little information too quickly uh, or too early on? I always think it's a little bit of both, to be honest. Mm -hmm. I mean, fans are going to be very passionate about this. And the unfortunate thing that Warner Brothers has going against them is we have about 25 years of hype since the last movie. Mm-hmm. fans want the best representation of their fandom so that they can show their friends, hey, this is why I think Mortal Kombat is cool. Yeah. And that was part of the problem with the the fandom with the Resident Evil movies was they were too stylistically different things in tone. So I know there was a point where I was watching the second Resident Evil movie and I'm thinking to myself, am I an idiot for playing these games? <laughs> you know, but- they kind of became their own thing. Like, uh, <laughs> yeah. Side of the whole video game and speaking of which i i feel like the uh the mortal Kombat movies are going to become their own thing but there's mm-hmm. a lot of elements in it where it feels like they learned from the mistakes of the resident evil movies uh hmm. because you know there is something very much in common between them uh as you know and your audience knows pretty much everyone knows at this point is there's an original character that is the main character of this movie Mm -hmm. and alice in the resident evil movies was never in the game so there's kind of that connect and i can see where fans start getting really nervous when you start introducing a character that could become uh uh, i guess the common term is a mary sue or a gary sue where they they do anything so i understand that fear and that was part of my fear too was just knowing hollywood and uh watching all the resident evil movies and going oh dear god not again exactly (laughs) no i mean the comparison between the two between mortal kombat and resident evil is definitely an apt one but the thing is I wish that they would have learned from that decision as to bringing in an original protagonist because that didn't go down with go, go down well with pretty much anyone. And as we've seen now with the Mortal Kombat community, it's getting uh, received the same way. Well, there, it was only partially uh, not received well. The original movie, a lot of fans really didn't mind original characters because they understood that it was supposed to be uh, taking place before the original game at that time. Where a lot of the, the hatred for the Alice character came in was from Resident Evil Apocalypse because as you watch the movie, you actually see her um, outshine video game characters and even... Uh, I mean, at one point she punches the nemesis, which is the main villain in Resident Evil 3, just punches them in the chest and, you know, it goes flying back like 20 feet. So something that was supposed to be this big, scary monster like Freddy Krueger level Terminator, you know, this beast of a monster and she wipes it out in two minutes. And it's it's interesting, too, because Resident Evil also, you know, kind of gained its own separate fan base before the Resident Evil movies than the fans of the video games. A lot of video game players didn't like the movie, but the movies were generating enough revenue for them to keep going and bring in all new fans that hadn't even touched the game itself. So I'm kind of curious to see if that will end up happening with Mortal Kombat in the same way. Yeah, and I, I think uh, I think you could see a lot of similarities with Mortal Kombat where because of the, the style movie that they want to do, I can easily see them picking up um, a lot of the Marvel and DC fans that maybe never played the games mm-hmm. uh, because the movie does have a comic book feel. It feels like an R-rated Avengers movie. Hmm. And I know I know a lot of people probably don't want to hear that, but I really mm-hmm. like the... You know, I really like the, the, the screenplay for it. It was interesting. You were saying earlier that you wanted to let the movie come out naturally so that people could experience Greg Russo's vision and that the second script 
kind of let what he wanted shine through. How did you feel about what his vision is of Mortal Kombat versus kind of what fans have expected? Well, one of the things I had talked about to a lot of people that were disappointed with some of the creative choices, and Mm -hmm. I can actually cover more than one thing here. First off, I feel that uh, this movie is going to do really well if during the marketing and during uh, like Ed Boon tweeting out things like this, that they explain that this movie works within the multiverse of Mortal Kombat. Oh, yeah. Because with Mortal Kombat 11 resetting the timeline and Liu Kang even states that he's going to do it multiple times until he gets everything right. Mm -hmm. That will naturally explain all the creative choices in this movie. I think Warner Brothers kind of, you know, at least some of the the decision making for Mortal Kombat 11 was in the same vein that they could, you know, make Mortal Kombat versus DC canon and they can make um, even the comic books like the Malibu comics and stuff. Everything is now canon because of Mortal Kombat 11. Yeah, because of the whole timeline thing. Yeah, yeah, and I and I think that's what's gonna really help explain a lot of the changes because there are things within the lore that they just completely ignore because either it doesn't work with the type of story that they want to tell, or because they just don't have time to get into all the lore, which also connects into the reason why they have an original character because you can look at the 1995 movie and it's a decent movie. It's a good movie for 1995. Oh yeah, and yeah. it's one of the best examples of a good video game movie. But if you mm-hmm. really look at it and compare it to, um, you know, like a normal, I mean, even a Marvel movie, there's people that were crying during Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Mm. Uh, it sounds like Warner Brothers wants to get more towards that level where you can actually have uh, deep emotions with some of the characters. And the Cole Turner character, which I don't think that's going to be his actual name. Uh, the 2016 script had him as a Caucasian. They really didn't go into it. The 2018 draft, I think his name is Cole Marino, Hmm. but they still didn't like really, you know, it's never specified that he's Asian. And then they ended up casting uh, Louis Tan. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I kind of feel like they're going to end up changing his name. You know, just looking at those two drafts, I could tell that they weren't sold on uh, the character name. And I think even some of the minor characters names changed as well. That makes sense, too, with some of Greg Russo's recent tweets about, um, you know, not meeting expectations when it comes to race choices uh, during the casting. Yeah. And, you know, another, another aspect of what he wanted to get across with this, and it was the element that I really liked, is when you think about the Mortal Kombat mythology, all the expanded information, it's a lot to take in. Uh, you could have pages of information just on some of the characters. What I really mm-hmm. enjoyed was the fact that he kind of resets it. And it kind of feels like uh, the first time he played more. Mortal Kombat or Mortal Kombat 2, where there's not a lot of information, you're getting like bits and pieces. And uh, there's actually a term for it. Uh, I can't think of it off the top of my head. I always called it the the Clone Wars effect, which is um, in the original Star Wars movie, they would get bits of backstory across by just mentioning something briefly and then never talking about it again. Mm. Uh, and yeah. based on Obi-Wan's line where he said, you know, I served with your father in the Clone Wars. And it makes you wonder, like, well, what the hell is the Clone Wars? You know, it's something that they never uh, told you about until 20 years later. And, yeah, it's uh, named up for a while. And I think that would be part of the problem with trying to do a Mortal Kombat movie is trying to get every single little detail correct that fans are going to be satisfied. And it starts feeling um, like you're going through the motions, you know? Like, you can even read, like, a lot of fan fiction where... Because they're trying to cover 
everything exactly as it happens in the games. Like it almost feels constrained. Like it's almost like you're going through the motions. Yeah, I feel like there's a balance though that you could possibly hit because I get what you're saying where you're trying not to step on any toes in terms of established lore. But then at the same time, sometimes when say looking at this script, you see things which are just completely taken out of, well, the established lore. And it's like you're going to, you're straying too far from the original point. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think you're going to, you're going to see a little bit of that uh, depending on what your mindset is. Because there are characters that are taken from later games and they're kind of shoved in here. But I could understand why they did that, which was to make every enemy unique. You know, mm-hmm. that you can't just have look at uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation, where almost every single uh, enemy that they fight is either a robot ninja with a different color or a regular ninja with a different color. <laughs> you know, the only the only really unique character that they fought was Motaro. And due to the uh, special effects limitations, you know, they didn't they couldn't do that much with them. Yeah, I couldn't bring him back either. Yeah. The one thing I I really like with the screenplay is you do get a wide variety of enemy. Uh, there, there's a unique character design, a unique character type for each enemy that they're fighting. You know, it doesn't feel like they're just fighting ninjas over and over. And I like that. That's you know, right. I want to I want to be entertained. And I'm a, like I said, I'm a huge Mortal Kombat fan. I, I want to see I would love to see something that is exactly like the video games. But then every time I say that, Hollywood tries it and then it's it doesn't work out. You know, I was I was not a a fan of the um the animated movie that just came out. Um, oh yeah. Yeah. That Scorpion yeah, Revenge. Yeah, that, I I didn't like it. I felt like they tried to take two different movies and cram it together and it just felt rushed. So I that's why I'm very hesitant to always say yeah it needs to be exactly like the video game because then I feel like I'm going to get exactly what I want and I'm going to hate it. <laughs> Well, we'll go into all the actual specifics when we get into the spoilers. But right before that, can you go through the production hell the movie went through to get created? Like we know originally it was going to be directed by James Wan, then he dropped out. Yeah, actually, um, James Wan wasn't actually the original director. It was uh, I'm going to butcher names, by the way. As, <laughs> you know, I I know all the names, but I'm going to butcher them. But uh, Kevin Tancherian. Yeah, Kevin that's Tantrum. right. Phantom has trouble mm-hmm. with that name too, so don't worry. Yeah, about he it. was he was the original <laughs> director, and the idea was originally when he did Mortal Kombat Legacy that that would kind of act as a prequel to um, to his movie, mm-hmm. and he hired Oren Uziel, who was the writer on Legacy, to write the movie. And then what happened was the movie stalled for about a a year or two. So what uh, Kevin did was he made Mortal Kombat Legacy 2 and then he just said oh well the movie's just going to be its own thing it's no longer tied to the first legacy series we're going to make them two separate uh entities so they finally finished the uh the first draft around 2013 if i remember and mm-hmm. i don't know if you know this but uh they actually leaked just a couple snapshots of the screenplay including its content did you know that did not this is where things start getting really weird but it's probably fascinating to both of you just because of being Mortal Kombat fans. But they had um, they had a Mortal Kombat script that was only written by Oren Uziel, which was eventually revised multiple times by different writers until it got to Greg Russo. But at that time, there was two snapshots, three technically, three snapshots taken. One was of the title page. 
just to mm-hmm. show the you know everyone hey the script's finished but then there's a a really close up picture that showed um it's it's something like sub-zero approaches scorpion and then it was sub-zero telling scorpion uh we got work to do and then there's <laughs> another close-up where it just showed cabal speaking and saying uh surprised saying jackson briggs and that was it mm-hmm. so no not about this yeah looking at that i was really excited for the movie at the time because i'm like oh my god they're throwing in all these different characters then they read these scripts and none of that's in there there's nothing <laughs> yeah you know, it's like okay um this definitely took a lot of rewrites you know yeah and i don't know anything about I don't know anything about uh, the original screenplay other than those two snapshots and the fact that none of what they leaked was in this. But it sounds like the basic the basic storyline was the same, because I remember the original leaks a few years back was about an original character uh, that gets chosen for Mortal Kombat. Hmm. And then after uh, Kevin Tantron dropped out, uh, it just kind of lingered for a few years. I don't know if James Wan actually was planning the draft. Uh, he did clarify a couple years ago that his name constantly gets attached to projects. Uh, mm-hmm. He had the he just finally put the nail in the coffin last year regarding the Resident Evil movie because they kept I guess reporters kept contacting him and asking him questions about it, and he said, "Look, it was it was offered to me to be a producer, but." I'm not a producer on it. I don't have the time. And that that's just how Hollywood goes is a lot of stuff that you see in articles, unless it's, you know, like entertainment or um, uh, I don't even know all the, the, the different uh, magazines anymore, uh, news outlets. But most of the time when you're reading uh, a lot of this information, it's like tabloid reporters that are just trying to get every nook and cranny uh, out of someone. And then they're trying to write a full article on it. So a lot of the yeah. information can end up being wrong. Uh, so yeah I don't know that James Wan was ever officially attached to it but I know he was rumored and he was at least maybe offered it so after all that happened how did it kind of fall into Greg Russo's hands you know I'm still trying to figure that out I have nothing against (laughs) Greg Russo I I really like his writing style but it amazes Mm -hmm. me you know he had he doesn't have a single writing credit to his name did you know that I didn't realize that he has three screenplays that he wrote. They're all in production. Mortal Kombat, Resident Evil, which he was, uh, I believe he was fired from. And that had nothing to do with him. It had more to do with uh, the director that they hired came in and said, look, I have my idea. I, w- I want to write it. So his script, unfortunately, got passed over. Uh, and the third project is Death Note 2 for Netflix. Did he do Death Note 1? Or was that somebody no, else? No, it was, that was uh, the director, Adam Winger. Oh, uh, wow. And everybody hated that. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's good know, to see they're and, giving it somebody and, else. <laughs> and, and that's a, another thing, too, is the, the disconnect. Because uh, I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of my friends and they hate it. And I said, you know. It doesn't follow it, but I guess it's because I'm not a huge hardcore fan of Death Note. I like the movie, and I like certain choices that they did. Yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I definitely liked Willem Dafoe as Ryuk. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was, <laughs> casting. that was the best part, and I love... I always love quoting the line from it because the the part where um, I don't even was his name still light in the American uh, version. No, I think they changed it to something else. Yeah, but it, when he's uh, he threatens to write Ryuk's name into the death note, and you know he's still eating his apple, not even uh, looking at it. He's like, 
There are four letters in my name. The closest anyone ever got is two. <laughs> so I always like that. Like, yeah. you know, I'm going to write your name in. Like, that was good. Like, uh, that was a good way of taking a character and really driving the essence of the character and making it work for your movie. The mm-hmm. movie may not have may not have worked. I still think it's fundamentally a good movie. I don't think it's a good adaptation, but fundamentally, yeah. it covers all the elements that a movie should do. I thought it was well shot. The acting was good. The only thing that doesn't work for it is the fact that it's not accurate. And I think that's <laughs> another good uh, that's probably another good description of the of this movie, this Mortal Kombat movie is that you're going to see a lot of people hate this thing just because it's not accurate to the games. Even though you're going to see characters from the games, you're going to see a lot of the story points from the games, you're going to see fatalities. They even have the arenas from the games and they oh, wow. work, they work it in naturally. Yeah. That's great. That's a problem that I had with Legacy 2 because one of the biggest uh problems that i have and one of the biggest concerns is the meshing of martial arts cg and extreme blood and gore because Mm -hmm. legacy 2 had all that and none of it worked it just Mm -hmm. fell off you know it's like they were they would be fighting and they literally just stop fighting and then someone does a fatality and i'm thinking (laughs) how the hell are you gonna how are you gonna work this in naturally i know the first movie they tried to and i thought the first movie did really well but there's a lot of people pissed off that it doesn't have fatalities. But yeah, this movie, yeah, yeah and, then, and this movie does. It it has recognizable fatalities from the games, and some of the some of this is gruesome, very very gruesome. And the whole time I'm reading it, I'm smiling because I'm like, yes, that's what this <laughs> this needs. Like I I'm, I don't want to give anything away, but I'm just no. reading like certain parts and. Uh, Probably in the script, Kung Lao is my favorite in terms of just absolutely annihilating people. You get to see things that you never thought you were going to see on film. <laughs> so I definitely get where you're coming from with regards to bringing in the arenas and bringing in the fatalities and stuff. That's all great. That's all Mortal Kombat, right? But then I think one of the most important things as well is actually getting those characters right and getting those, well, the consistencies correct, right? Now, yes, we want a Mortal Kombat movie. And I think that that's the biggest issue that people have had with, with say, like legacy and everything is more that it needs to feel like Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat's more than just fatalities, right? We all love the fatalities. Oh yeah, I absolutely but agree with we, you. We love the characters. We love the story behind it. We love how the characters work with each other as well and how they tie into the story itself. So how a small, a minor character or somebody seemingly minor can be so integral to the plot, the entire plot of the of the, the series itself. And I think that that's something that many fans are kind of, well, concerned about. Um, well, the problem is you have 25 years worth of lore that you're condensing into an hour and a half movie. And and that was kind of the issue with the first one. At least they, you know, focused on the first game. But um, here, you know, you have so many different fan favorites that have evolved over the last 25 years and so much fan service that kind of gets put into it, too. So compressing all that into one movie, uh, I can see the challenge there. But then why not build upon it over time rather than going yeah. all in one go? Yeah. And that's one of the issues that uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation had mm-hmm. was just cramming. I think there's 22 to 25 hmm. characters in that movie. And you can see just how it didn't work. Whereas this movie has um, maybe... 
15 at most, maybe less. That's including original characters? Oh, actually, we should save that for the spoiler section. Yeah, possibly. I was about to say, um, <laughs> this is probably a good time to jump into spoilers, but just so our listeners know, of course, this is based off the 2016 and the 2018 script. And as we kind of mentioned earlier, the script has gone through some more uh, revisions before they actually began production on it. So um, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into the 2018 Mortal Kombat script. So Brandon, can you tell us just kind of a, a synopsis of the 2018 script and a little bit about the story? Uh, yeah, uh, essentially, I mean, it deals with Mortal Kombat. <laughs> uh, no, um, it, uh, it mostly follows the single point of view of one character and how they're drawn into this centuries-old battle to save the Earth from Outworld. And it's done once a generation, and they have a unique gimmick on how the characters are chosen. And I think part of the reason for this was because they wanted to get away from cliches mm -hmm. like, you were the chosen one. But, uh, but the first act is essentially the main character, Cole Turner. You get to see his life, you get to see... Um, his character arc, like the beginning of the kinds of themes that they're going to cover in the movie and how he gets drawn into this. And then he goes through a training phase and then it finally goes into Mortal Kombat. So does he get chosen before we see his training phase or is it kind of like, you know, he's been training all this time and you're seeing his life and then he's chosen to become a participant of Mortal Kombat? Well, the the main character, I can I'll call him Cole Turner just because there's no other name for it and everyone understands it. But I don't think that's going to be his actual name. But Cole Turner, he's a, depending on which version you read, he's kind of like a, a washed up boxer. Uh, he is divorced. He doesn't have custody of his daughter, but he's still trying to make a living boxing. It almost felt like uh, like the original uh, Rocky. Mm -hmm. Like It takes place in Philly, or at least in this version, it takes place in Philly. And he's just in this dark, dingy gym, you know, boxing people for money. It sounds so stereotypically American movie-esque. <laughs> that's, that's my biggest issue with it so far. This is just so typical. It does. But I think part of the part of that, too, was because you look at Hollywood always adjusts based on what does well. You know, Alien was greenlit because Star Wars did well. And that was the only screenplay that was sci-fi that 20th Century Fox owned. Mm. That was the reason why Alien got the green light and went on to, you know, become a franchise. Um, and you look at any time there's comic book movies. Think about that when they they first started coming out in the the late 90s into the early 2000s. And it just kind of exploded. I mean, we think mm -hmm. about Marvel now. Uh, same thing with uh, horror films. You'll see a lot of horror films, the zombie genre, how that exploded in the early 2000s. It's because. Hollywood always um, basically rips each other off. They see something that works well and they want to take it. Go with what's pop culture. Yeah, exactly. Think about in the last um, five years, you had the Creed movies. You know, they both of those did really well. And it mm -hmm. was probably really easy for them to say, you know, what kind of original character can we do that hasn't really been covered in the games? You know, because if you think about it, Mortal Kombat has just about every type of archetype of character that you can imagine i mean they're i mean they, they've gotten to the point where now they're they have cowboys in it you know yeah <laughs> you, have, you have clint eastwood they're they're obviously running out of ideas 
that they have to start expanding uh, the character types. So, but I feel like the counterpoint to that is that we've got somebody like Devora or Collector. On one hand, you could say they're running out of ideas. On the other hand, there's an entire untapped multiple sort of races they could go into. Even you know, oh no, I, I I agree. I agree with you on that when it comes to uh, non Earth Realm characters. But I think uh, for having a human uh, main character uh, for the the type see, of yeah. Earth Realm characters, I think they've covered a good bit of it but is that not enough reason to so i i i'm i'm going hard on cole turner sorry by the way but no, no, no <laughs> i i've i've actually uh listened to your your podcast before and i know that just the the idea of it it's just it, it can be it can be insulting you know because you think about Liu kang being the main character or johnny cage or casey cage because of how they've been doing the new games it feels like each game has its own uh main character but with cole turner what it does is you can do it the way that the 1995 movie did it where you have multiple characters with multiple point of views but you only do a little bit of their story arc and it can feel rushed or you can focus on one character and do his entire arc so that uh uh, you get that full emotional spread. And but why not yeah. just do that with one of the established characters that we've already agreed all have this full on backstory and are all unique in their own way, you know? So for example, instead of Cole, why not have someone like Johnny who literally gets sucked into this whole tournament without knowing initially what it is, right? He would have been the perfect sort of main character to take this sort of thing if that's the approach they were going for. And I absolutely agree with you on that. Um, that was something that I talked to people before about where I said, you could easily rewrite the first act and this could be a Johnny Cage movie. Uh, the reason why they want an original character, I don't know. But I know that usually when they do something like this, an original character is used to uh, slowly introduce the audience into that heavy mythology and lore that they have. Yeah, I think probably to, you know, get bring in a new audience to people who aren't familiar with Mortal Kombat to kind of give them a new point of view and give fans something a little bit different. And I'm just playing devil's advocate here. So, no, no. <laughs> well, you know. I'm actually really happy that Lewis Tan did get cast as Cole Turner because I really liked him on Woo Assassins. And I feel yes. like I feel like he needs redemption because, uh, you know, this isn't his first Mortal Kombat character, right? I think we talked about this previously. He was cast for unreleased production, wasn't he? Yes. Uh, Mortal Kombat Generations. He was cast yeah. as Kung Jin. And I still to this day have no idea whatever happened to that. Um <laughs> yeah, we spoke about it recently. We couldn't figure out what was going on with it either. I think it was meant to be Legacy 3. It had some of the returning cast in it. Uh, it was also meant to tie in with Mortal Kombat X. Here we are. We're going to be talking about Mortal Kombat 12 now. But this was made prior <laughs> prior to Mortal Kombat X. And uh, everyone was waiting for it. And it just got shelved. I think either Warners didn't want to spend any more money on it, maybe to, to do post-production. Or there was maybe a changing where they just said, nah, we don't need this. <laughs> and, that, and that's a shame because you had all all those actors, crew members, the director, even the, you know, the screenwriter. They did all this work and then it just never sees the light of day. 
So for the casting for this new upcoming Mortal Kombat movie, I'm excited to see every actor in there because I think they all deserve, you know, a, a huge spotlight shine on them because they're all great performers. So the casting choice so far has been amazing to me. It's just the characters that were missing that were kind of upset about, which, of course, you're never going to make anybody completely happy. No, but I do feel there's a happy balance. Sorry, mm. I'm, I'm, I'm going full on hard. Sorry. <laughs> no. no, you know, that, that's actually really good because uh, that allows me to explain maybe more from like the Hollywood side of why they make creative choices that they do. And mm-hmm. um, especially when you read the script, it kind of all clicks together and you're like, okay. Yeah, no, it's definitely a good perspective for us to have. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, and I'm, and I'm sure if you were to if you were to read it, you're going to be like, I understand this. I hate it. Yeah, I understand. It. <laughs> <laughs> so you're saying earlier that Cole Turner's, you know, this down on his luck boxer um, and that he doesn't have custody of his, of his daughter. We do know that Matilda Kimbler, the, a 12 year old actress, has been cast for the movie. Uh, can you confirm if she's going to be playing Cole's daughter or a different character? Uh, yeah, I would say that uh, she's going to be playing the daughter. Uh, there's no other child characters in the uh, the screenplay. Yanni was hoping we'd get like a young Katana or a young Melina. <laughs> yeah, it's just like sort of maybe a flashback before Katana or, or Melina, you know, grows up or something <laughs> just to keep it more, you know, less Cole Turner. Rather. <laughs> and, you know, the the one thing to mention, one other thing just to mention about Cole Turner, you notice like the studio hasn't confirmed anything. They haven't. Uh, they no one even knows who Lewis Tan is playing, but the mm-hmm. only logical character that he's playing is Cole Turner, based on the screenplay. And I, you can really tell that studio is very, very nervous. Just and you look at over the last few years how um, fans have kind of been given a really bad name, you know, depending on which yeah. fandom you're part of. And yeah. I, I feel really bad for. Um, I feel like Louis Tan is probably going to get a lot of hate and, you know, this isn't his fault. He's an actor. He was hired to do this role. You know, he didn't make this movie. He it's just acting, but he's I feel like, he's, it, yeah. yeah, he's going to be at the center of this. Um, Greg Russo, he was hired. He was probably told by the studio to make a certain type of movie. I mean, Greg Russo isn't even the original writer on this thing. There was five other writers. So I can understand, uh, the, the studio being very nervous about leaking too early that there's an original character because they're really terrified of the backlash of this. And honestly, I don't I don't really think they should be, but I understand why because, you know, everything leaked 2 years ago about mm-hmm. this and they didn't say yeah. anything. And you think about that, it's been 2 years and they still have another 6 months until this releases at least until at the least inevitable uh, delay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the Cole and, Turner backlash was already huge as soon as anything was leaked about him. So yeah, Well, again, it, it didn't have a very good uh description on that uh cast list. Yeah. It really didn't. And in fact, it made a lot of the characters just sound like they're going to be poorly designed, poorly uh, written. And that's not Mm. the case. I went into the the first screenplay and uh, even though I didn't like it, and I believe that was just because Russo was trying to do touch ups. He wasn't given like full control to be like, okay, we can we can gut the entire second and third act and you can start over because it, it kind of feels like uh, the difference between um, Star Beast, which was Dan O'Bannon and Ron Shusett's 
first draft of Alien versus Mm -hmm. Walter Hill's Alien, which was Mm -hmm. the final draft. They're essentially the same story. But when you look at it, the characters are slightly different. Every single scene is written differently. You know, one feels like a a really bad B movie and the other one feels like a sci-fi masterpiece. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to go as far to say that the new Mortal Kombat movie is going to be a masterpiece, but I, I think it's going to be a, a lot help. better than, <laughs> yeah, I, I think a, a lot of people are going to be surprised at uh, how much better a lot of the elements work in this than it did in the 1995 movie, even though I think the 1995 movie is more accurate to the games than this movie. Mm-hmm. So kind of continuing on with the script. So you said Cole Turner gets his invite to join the tournament. Can you tell us what happens after that? <laughs> um, yeah, it's not so much an invite. Uh, this thing, this entire battle sort of like comes to him in a sense. Um, and I'm being very coy about this because I don't want to give away a lot of surprises. But the way that Mortal Kombat works in this is different than how it would work in the games. In the games, we know that uh, the tournaments, they usually send out like an invitation or a messenger and people get formally invited to fight in this tournament. I think it still kind of works that way, but there's a lot of um, rule breaking in this, which is one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why it's going to feel different. But he doesn't want to be part of this, but he also has no choice, as it's explained by Raiden. Raiden, throughout the movie, is able to convince him that, you know, you need to be a part of this. So it's one of the things where I really connect with the, the Cole Turner character, because you're going to understand that he wants to do right by his daughter and this event has kind of um, propelled him into a life that he really doesn't want but he has to because he wants to protect his daughter yeah but yeah after that there there's a little bit of hmm if i were to compare this to a movie not it not in terms of quality but a general concept of structure like story structure i would compare this movie to Jean-Claude Van Damme's The Quest. Yeah. You've ever mm-hmm. seen that. So mm-hmm. there's there's a journey element to it. So you have act one and then act two is a journey element. And then act three is going to be what everyone has come to see. And they cram everything they possibly can into that act three. And it doesn't sound mm. like it would work. It really doesn't because you, you think about uh, the first Mortal Kombat movie. But really, the, the tournament in the first movie was maybe 30 minutes. Yeah. If mm-hmm. you think about it, I mean, they, they rushed through what, five, five, six fights, and they're only about two, three minutes long. And then they yeah. they get right in the Goro, and then they have uh, eventually Johnny Cage challenges Goro. I mean, that's a rushed synopsis of 1995's yeah. Mortal Kombat, but it, it's generally the same. You don't. You don't really think about all the events that are actually happening in the movie because they do a great job of making the tournament feel like it's this big thing. But it really doesn't take place that long within the structure of the movie. Uh, So that's one thing that kind of works with this is they really set up that that journey to actually get to where they need to be. So can you give us like a full list of confirmed characters, maybe? Uh, You mean the ones that the studio has confirmed or just a list of characters from the screenplay? More, more so like from this. the screenplay. <laughs> well, you have all the you have all the uh, announced characters, which I can run down through just so we're all on the same page here. But you have uh, Cole Turner, you have Sonya Blade, you have Kano. Those are actually your main characters. 
You have Liu Kang and Kung Lao, which are supporting roles. But I want to say that by the end of it, they've kind of moved up into main character tier. Mm -hmm. It's just that they're not in like the first act of the movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. After that, you have Raiden, you have Sub-Zero, Jax, Shang Tsung, Scorpion, Melina, Natara was actually confirmed. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you have Cole Turner's daughter, you have Cole Turner's ex-wife, and there is four other characters from the game. I will only confirm one of them because I know you recently did a uh, a podcast uh, where you talked about uh, Nathan Jones and who he was yeah. playing. <laughs> yes. I know that was a big thing for you. And you seemed like you were 99.9% convinced that it was Shao Kahn. Uh-huh. <laughs> now, now, one thing I will hand it to this production is Greg Russo is such a good writer when he does his fights that they're very detailed in the screenplay. And when the actors started doing all of the um, the videos that they're showing on Twitter, like you had, um, I'm going to butcher names here, but CC Stringer, who plays yeah. Lena, she was like mm-hmm. showing off some of her moves. I'm like... I know where that is in the script. And they showed, well, well. Uh, and then when they showed um, Nathan Jones and what he's doing, I'm like, well, I know where that's at in the script. And I think even, uh, uh, what's his name? Josh Lawson. He's uh, the actor playing Kano. I think even he had a video. Mm-hmm. But I was like, yeah, I know where that's at. Like, it, it was that good. So when I seen Nathan Jones and I seen everyone saying about, oh, that's Shao Kahn, he has a mallet. I'm thinking, oh, come on, guys. You're all Mortal Kombat fans. You should know that there's three different characters that have, that have had mallets. in uh, <laughs> Reiko. Reiko, Khan, and... Well, Raiden did have one in MP4. Yes. Wow. Well, <laughs> so it, it's obviously not Raiden. And... Yeah. I will tell you this, that uh, Shao Kahn uh, in this script is more like Emperor Palpatine in Star Wars A New Hope. Oh. Um, they So you don't physically see him, at least in the drafts that I've written, but his presence is felt and he is mentioned. Uh, I like it. So, wow. so that narrows it down to only one person. Wow, that's interesting. Oh, it is Katana. Would... All right. <laughs> <laughs> I I would not expect Nathan Jones to play Reiko. Um, yeah. Just because he's so massive and Reiko's not. <laughs> Reiko's not, yeah. Like, he doesn't look like a Reiko at all to me. <laughs> I think they're going to be going more towards the uh, Mortal Kombat Armageddon, Armageddon. Mm-hmm. version mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. And I thought uh, Reiko looked pretty bulked up in that one. In fact, I really love the design in uh yeah. Armageddon. Ooh, like I was that, always that, an MK4 Reiko fan myself. Yeah, <laughs> it, it, it always looked like um it always looked like Ed Boon wearing face paint, wearing a ninja costume, you know. <laughs> <laughs> with with uh all of Noob Cybot's moves. I'm like, okay, like here we go. But uh yeah, he's gonna be playing Reiko. And I think that is a very good choice based upon the type of role that Reiko is gonna serve within this. And again, you're gonna see a lot of maybe not mainstream characters as some of the um the villains in it but Mm -hmm. this script has a lot in common with the 1995 movie where you're gonna see characters that don't speak they you know they do all their cool stuff and then you know get killed off 
because at the end of the day, they're they're trying to have you connect more with the uh, the Earthrealm characters. Previously, there was the uh, 2016 script and the 2018 script. Were there many differences between the two? Yes. Really? Can you go into some of the things that were cut, perhaps? Yes. Uh, I can actually tell you that uh, just about every single scene uh, was rewritten for this. And hmm. they had... Oh, they had one fight scene that was cut, and I think that had to do with a combination of budget as well as uh, pacing. It didn't feel mm-hmm. right because there's uh, there's a fight in the screenplay, and then there was like two really quick scenes that kind of propel you in Act Two, and then it's immediately another fight, and it just felt weird. Like it, it didn't feel like it was flowing good, so I think they cut that just to change it. But all of Act Two is 100% different, and I'm oh, really wow. glad. I'm really glad for this because the only thing I liked from Act Two was like a really minor half page chase scene where um, the characters are going through an abandoned temple. And they had Sub-Zero going from room to room. He's like smashing through doors, coming at them as they're trying to to escape this temple. Uh, It Mm -hmm. sounds really cool, but in the grand schemes of uh, everything they're trying to do in that moment, it it really didn't work. And I, I hated where it led to next, which was the majority of Act 2 was this giant training montage and they had uh this forget what the city's name was but it was um a central point in the universe and they had all these different gates and these gates would lead to other worlds yes yeah maybe that's what it was called um but it was it was really dumb it really was it was um it kind of felt like a tailgater party like they had uh like this (laughs) town and there you know there's like a merchant selling like replica katana fans and sounds like (laughs) jim from conquest (laughs) yeah yeah, it's basically uh uh the city from conquest uh but it wasn't done well it it really Mm. wasn't and but there was one good scene there was one good scene uh cut and i was really upset that they cut this i was like man why can't you just take this and put it somewhere else you know i i hated the city i hated the uh the training sequences that they did because they had an original character called i don't know the overlord it was called the overlord um and he essentially look i imagine he looked like shang song and he was the uh the head trainer and his job was literally just sitting up in a chair and just going fight fight (laughs) and like it, it was like someone just said you know there's always a guy that says fight maybe we could just make him a character and they put him into like this role and it was really stupid because he was he was basically taking up a lot of the role that Raiden was, and I'm glad that they cut the Overlord and they took some, not not Raiden saying fight, but taking some of the excess dialogue and the general tone that that character was supposed to have and giving it more to Raiden. Uh-huh. Uh huh. We're not getting the fight guy. No, we're unless <laughs> Greg Russo is like, you know what, this movie's missing. We're, we're missing the Overlord. We need that guy that just keeps saying fight over and over. But no, there there was a really cool scene uh, between the three main characters, Sonia, Cole, and Kano. And they're in this town, and basically, Kano wants to go get a beer. And he's like, I'm parched, I'm getting drunk. <laughs> and uh, by the way, he plays the comic relief, but he's not obnoxious. Like, he really does say really funny things, because uh, it, it's just the way his character's built. Like, he feels like Kano. And you're just laughing at everything he says. 
Um, now, you've mentioned this on uh, online before. Kano is actually not necessarily a villain in this movie. C- could you elaborate a little more? Is he a uh, actual hero or more of an anti-hero that's kind of stuck with and these people? I would say anti-hero. And to be okay. fair, he he was an anti-hero in the first Mortal Kombat. Uh-huh. So yeah, I, I video game lore. Yeah, so I really like that they kind of went back to Mortal Kombat 1 and said, you know, they're, Sonya and Kano did work together because they couldn't fight because it's supposed to be Earthrealm versus Outworld. So uh-huh. I really I really like that um that element that they paid a nod to it and I'm hoping that they do more with it in the the sequel. Um but uh there's a scene where he goes to get drunk and uh Cole and Sonya are having tea. Um they're like outside doing their own thing. And Kano's in there. He gets a beer and someone bumps into him and he's just, you know, like, hey, watch it. And he turns around and it's a uh, Tarkatan. And oh. he's just he says something like really ignorant. But uh, the car Tarkatan was like, get out of my way, human. And he's like, uh, your mother's ugly. And they 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 flip battle at each other. And the Tarkatan, you know, explains he serves under Lord Baraka and you're going to pay for this. He's like. He's like, uh, says something else. I really wish I knew it because the, the banter was really good. But he just says something like, you know, yeah, whatever. And then, like, headbutts this guy. <laughs> like, <on his mind. laughs> And then he, like, looks around and literally half the room is Tarkatans. And they all just stand up and start <laughs> approaching him. And he's like, oh, hey, guys, uh, a little help? And, of course, he's been an asshole to uh, Sony and Cole the whole time. So they're outside. They're like, do you hear something? He's like, must be the wind. And (laughs) and it comes back to him. He's like, seriously, guys. He's like fighting them, like kicking guys in the groin, uh, headbutting, punching people, smashing bottles over their heads. And, uh, I mean, he's in the thick of it. And he's just like, are you going to... Are you going to help me, you assholes? Like, I, I really love that. And they're like, you want to you want to go bail him out? He's like, I'm done with my tea. You know, and they like get up yeah. and uh, they go in and help. But it was a really good, funny scene where uh, a lot of banter. And I, I just really love that because uh, that scene really felt like Kano. You know, when you think about a lot of the basic qualities and like character quirks that Kano has, it was all summed up in that scene. And I'm like, yes, that is Kano. Because I never liked the first movie where they, they made him feel like a coward. Um, <laughs> like it, it just felt weird. Like I felt like that undermined the character a little bit. Whereas this one, he's he's kind of the butt of some jokes. Like he is taken for comedy relief, but he he actually fights in this movie. You're not just going to see like one minute fight against Sonya where he gets his neck snapped like the 1995 movie. Uh, you actually get to see him fight multiple times in this, and he's a he's a damn good fighter. Uh, you get to see some really cool kills from him too, and yeah, he, he has some interesting elements to his character. I really liked it. I'm not gonna spoil some of the the more original traits that they gave him, but uh, it, it was really neat. I, I was like, okay, that's a nice touch. I I really liked that. Uh, but that was the only thing that I I liked from the second act. The the whole second act in the the original script, like I said, was different. And then the third act in the 2016 script versus 2018, all they did was originally it was just one mass battle, and they figured out a way where instead of just doing like the 95 movie where you just watch one fight and then it cuts to the next one and it cuts to another in this one you get to see like multiple fights happening simultaneously 
but in different locations and they do some really cool twists and turns and this is where you get to go see like the battle arenas it was, it was neat the uh the thing that really made me hate the 2016 script is whoever wrote the third act uh for that it felt like they just wanted to take a vacation and th- this is just from like studying film you know like uh a lot of movies are set in like really ex- exotic locations you know like um adam sandler has even admitted that he just wanted to go to like set a lot of his movies in like tropical islands and locations so that he could take a family vacation <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. and and i that that was something i was always leery about just reading uh like studying film over the years is that you will have uh a writer write specific locations in that may not even work with the film but they'll do it anyway because they're they know that they're probably going to be on set to do any sort of rewrites that the uh, the studio needs while they're filming so it's like mm-hmm. oh free vacation you know I'll, I'll work during the day and then at night go go out and you know see everything that that place has to offer or sometimes a, a producer will do that where they'll say hey i want to do a rewrite could you uh uh, set this in Rome, <laughs> you know. So, uh, yeah. so the uh, the third act in the 2016 script didn't have any battle arenas. What it did have is like the Louvre, Scottish Highlands. Mm. There was, I think, there was like a swamp, but I think uh, they mentioned something very specific about what they wanted. And there was like one other location. And I'm just thinking, like, oh my god, are these guys like hard up for a vacation? <laughs> like, like, come on guys like i don't remember any of these locations from uh from the game so you know the production time like of course they filmed everything in australia and, and it was such a quick production that a lot of fans have been weary about it but after you hearing saying that it, it actually you know gives me a little of encouragement of how the movie's going to end up the fact that they made all their sets there locally and tried to focus on the script itself rather than as you said Very taking fun. family vacations yeah. yeah well well that's another thing about uh film in Australia is that area of the world has a lot of diverse locations to it. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the one reason why Hollywood keeps going more towards Australia to film all their big budget movies is because they get heavy, ta- heavy tax breaks there. Uh, yeah. Mad Max Fury Road was filmed there and got heavy tax breaks. So did uh, uh, Alien, Alien Covenant. Mm-hmm. And there's um, a few more that are actually starting to head that way as well. Um, so that that's one of the reasons why they picked Australia. But between Australia, New Zealand, and some of the other uh, surrounding nations, they have uh, like a whole plethora of diverse um, styles of geography that they can use. You know, like, so... Yeah. I would assume that that was the main reason the tax breaks, the cheaper crew and the uh, locations. And then, like you said, they used they actually used the studio lot there to actually build a lot of sets. I'm really interested to see what comes out of that, honestly, because, yeah, I can read it on paper and it could end up completely different uh, on film. So you were saying earlier, Sub-Zero, uh, they, they had that scene that was cut from the script where Sub-Zero was chasing the protagonist throughout the movie. I, I think you've also mentioned online Sub-Zero is actually not necessarily a good guy in this script is the character himself is he treated you know just as a throwaway bad guy character or do they give him any kind of context in this at all um context in what way like Uh, uh, like any kind of development or really as a character 
Yeah, yeah. Do you actually see who he is as a character? Um, not not in the drafts I read, but okay. I will say that compared to the '95 movie, which was the same way, um, he probably has two, maybe three times as much screen time, maybe even more. Hmm. I mean, there's a couple very major scenes that he's in, and he does some really cool stuff in this movie. Like I was reading the script and just going, oh, my God, like that. <laughs> that is awesome. That's what I want to see Sub-Zero do. Yeah. And, nice. and, there, and there's there's a good um, there's a good example of this. I, I like calling it like the Boba Fett effect, which is where um, you have a, a character where they don't have a lot of development. They just look really cool and they have a menacing presence to it. And it's like the Boba Fett effect. You know, Boba mm-hmm. Fett wasn't on screen a lot in the original Star Wars movies, but he's a very popular character. And it's because he did really cool stuff. Yeah. And that's how I felt the uh, Scorpion and Sub-Zero were in the original 95 movie is they weren't constantly on screen chatting with the other characters. But when Mm -hmm. they show up, like when Scorpion's like gazing at Johnny Cage, like that is cool. Like he feels cool. (laughs) He he feels threatening, menacing. So I I really like that. And they kind of have the same thing with Sub-Zero where he doesn't talk, but he looks really cool. And you're going to feel you're going to feel proud to be a Sub-Zero fan. Like if you love Sub-Zero, you're going to feel really happy with how they do his character because he is terrifying in this. In the 95 movie, they had a a throwaway line saying that Sub-Zero and Scorpions were deadliest of enemies, but they were slave under Shang Tsung's control. Is there any kind of throwaway lines in there to kind of explain why Scorpion and Sub-Zero are antagonists in this movie? Or is that relationship even sort of focused on at all or mentioned? Yes. Yes. Uh, There is uh, one or two throwaway lines that set up what could possibly be explained in a sequel. But they do, you know, the origins are different. I'm not going to lie about that. They they have different origins. They have different um, kind of a different backstory, at least in the 2018 draft. So everyone listening to this, please do not go harass Greg Russo that he's ruining Mortal Kombat because (laughs) I don't know how much he's actually rewritten since then. Mm -hmm. Um, I did it. I did plan on once the movie comes out. I would love to actually come back on and actually like I can actually show you the screenplays and we can go through it and actually oh we'd love it yeah, yeah. Awesome. we could talk about that because it's really hard right now without without giving certain things away but right. at the same time it always comes down to how uh, you always see people on message boards and they'll they'll say something and you know it's bullshit. <laughs> and that, that's only that's always what I fear is because I'm coming out and going, yeah, Colt Turner's the main character. It's uh, Scorpion and Sub Zero were uh, barely in it, and there's no Johnny Cage. And people are like, what? You know, like, and, and, like eventually it starts sounding like really weird. Like when they read that like cast, uh, you know, like cast breakdown a couple years ago, it's like Luke Kang, fire throwing ninja. People are like, this is bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no way this is real. It's like, yeah, it's real. It's just some guy who never played the games uh wrote wrote those paragraphs. <laughs> but yeah, Luke Kang fire throwing ninja is literally just scorpion. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned Johnny Cage is not in the movie. Do they explain that at all? His presence or lack thereof is explained, and you will at mm-hmm. least um you will at least know that he exists in this universe because he is a movie oh, star. Good. He is a movie star. You know, he's very well known throughout the world. So they they do acknowledge that he exists. And okay. I won't I won't say anything about the ending 
uh-huh. because it could possibly be rewritten. But there was more, more than one. What do they call them now? Like the the cliffhanger teases that they do, the after mm-hmm. credits type stuff. Post credit scene. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they had a few of them lined up to kind of get you really amped up for that sequel. Okay. So there's so a gonna be an interesting movie without Johnny Cage. Somewhat. <laughs> well, well, you know, another reason for that is because they have the Kano character and they just used him as the comedy relief rather than Johnny Cage, who's traditionally the comedy relief. Yeah. Uh, sometimes you see that happen in movies. Uh, if you think about Star Wars, The Force Awakens, the reason why uh, Poe Dameron wasn't in the movie much is because he was literally the same character as uh, Han Solo. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So just to have two Han Solos in a movie that that would not have worked out well. It's yeah, a, I just find it so weird when hearing like, obviously, this is just an individual thing. I just find it so weird to see how like Hollywood scripts, they have to have specific stereotypical characters can't have multiples of the same one just because, oh, we've we've hit that box. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, well, this would be the uh, the business side of things. Everything mm. is based around uh, test audiences and how things are polling and what previously made a lot of money. Yeah. And, and that's something where um, I was actually listening to John Carpenter, the famous director. Uh, he was mm-hmm. talking about the studio system and he was asked what the difference was between when he was a director in the 80s versus now. And he said, you know, I don't feel that the I don't feel Hollywood is as nice of a place to work in as it was a couple decades ago. Like they're not as friendly. And you hear mm-hmm. you hear horror stories about child actors where their careers dry up and people just stop talking to them. You know, no one no one uh, reaches out to them to see if they need work. So it really is this kind of cutthroat business that's all based around marketing and numbers, number crunching, and how much can you make them money? So that that's the industry. As long as you know that that's what it's like going into it, then you're going to have a better chance than uh, if you're the cliche uh, young starlet who's gonna, you know, travel to Hollywood and become a huge movie star. You know, that was yeah. like a lot of what, 200 different movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like the horror <laughs> story. But yeah, like uh, that, it's just how they do it. But at the same time, it allows them to have, you know, one unique type of character for each archetype, I guess you could say. Like, because, uh, yeah, yeah, because you have like the comedian, you have, um, uh, you have like the main character who's the the guy who's filled with doubt, and you know he's he's going on the hero's journey, just like Luke Skywalker, Neo, and a lot of different characters. Yeah, you know, they they use the classic hero's journey formula for this movie, and it works. I'm not going to say that uh, everything in it's perfect, but the fact that Greg Russo could take the 2016 script and hammer it out within two years and made it into what he did, and then even still had another year to revise it. I'm really excited to see where it's going to go and what actually changed. Do you feel like Cole Turner's character has a lot of depth that they've actually managed to write into it? Or is he just kind of a throwaway, this is who you're following character? No, no, he does have a lot of depth. And part of that is because they spend a good bit of act one really showing you what his life is, what he cares about, his uh, issues that he has within his life, his relationship mm-hmm. with his daughter, his relationship with his ex-wife. And they really set up, you know, you're actually going to... 
if they if they do it right and they don't try and ham fist it, it, it should come across where you actually care about the character. I mean, do you think he's somebody that would fit in with the games itself? Like they might actually end up throwing him in the game at some point in time? Maybe. I mean, with with Mortal Kombat 11, essentially resetting the timeline or at least saying that they're going to do that due to Liu Kang starting over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I could see him potentially becoming a character. Would he mm. not clash with any of the existing ones? Um, maybe slightly. I mean, it's not like we haven't had like doppelgangers before because yeah. you think about, yeah. I mean, just for example, look at um, Mortal Kombat 2. You had Scorpion, Noob Saibot, and Smoke, and they all did the same moves. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, Mortal, Mortal Kombat Trilogy had two sub-zeros. so i mean and and then of course you had like uh the the thing that really probably boxed um midway which you know ed boone and his team prior to becoming netherrealm studios was when they were making all those like different games like um uh mortal kombat 4 and then mortal kombat 5 and then by mortal kombat deception you were starting to really see like okay they're they're kind of at that time they were kind of running out of moves that they could give people and then by mm-hmm. armageddon when it was like okay we're gonna have all 60 mortal kombat characters together and you could just tell like they were probably sweating because they're like oh god all our characters are gonna <laughs> exactly the same like how are we going to do reiko reiko and noob saibot are, are the same and we haven't you know <laughs> developed in that much and you you know you could tell like uh they were probably really getting inventive to try and create moves for it so i don't know maybe uh maybe cole turner they would just give him some unique moves i don't know here's another quick thing too is uh i almost forgot about this the um uh, the screenplay says that cole turner is a boxer but i think for the movie they might be doing it that it's mma oh yeah which, which that would make would... more sense considering the time you know? mma is so hot right now <laughs> <laughs> well i mean the uh, the owner of ufc is getting ready to have his own mortal Kombat island so yeah yeah, sure. Dhabi, right? <laughs> yeah. saw that i was like what <laughs> i'm going there <laughs> i think they even did it in the marketing and that was brilliant it was brilliant that they actually lean into that <laughs> uh so you mentioned before that um the characters actually have their super powers or their super moves um like Luke Kane can shoot fireballs and, and things like that does Cole Turner happen to have anything like that too to make him more unique or more special than a regular human yes um, right. <laughs> I, I I won't go into it because that's part of the story arc because the only thing I, I will say is that the uh Liu Kang and Kung Lao are the veteran fighters for Earthrealm. They oh, uh, they have been training their entire lives. So they, in fact, Kung Lao is at one point mentioned that he is the world's best fighter. It's mm-hmm. like he is Earthrealm's greatest fighter. So Second, we're going with arrogant Kung Lao then? Uh, <laughs> well, not really. Uh, Kung Lao doesn't have a single line of dialogue. Oh, Oh. Um, which Ah, I okay, which which I really like. I really like that that approach to it. It makes it more mysterious, like Mortal Kombat Two. Yes, they they kind of set him up so that he is constantly um, like I almost imagine like he's always posing. You know, like like they're barely (laughs) going to show his face. Like he has like the the head down. 
you know, like those like fighting stances that he always has the the victory stances, which I think would be actually rather comical if like every time they cut the Kung Lao, he's like, you know, uh, wiping, <laughs> no, you know, like putting his hat on and like head tilted. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. but no, um, they're they're the veteran characters, so they've already developed their special powers. And part of the incoming characters like Cole Turner is. Hey, this guy, he's one of the Earthrealm warriors that's going to fight in Mortal Kombat, but this dude has no special powers. None of these these guys do that we just found, so we have to train them until we unlock their special powers. Please tell me Striker's not part of that. <laughs> that's what you just reminded me of. <laughs> Stri Striker is mentioned. Striker is mentioned in the script. I, and I actually, I know he's not a fan favorite, and they kind of do this, like, one-off joke about it. So, so. <laughs> I like, have so much faith in this. <laughs> yeah. So, so if you hate if you hate Striker, you're gonna laugh. <laughs> nice. You're gonna laugh when you you hear about him. So. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying about the power training. But yeah, there there is some of that now. Unless they unless they decided to rewrite a lot of that again, it should be in there. It was a main point in the uh, in the script, and that's one thing I liked because I. I kind of liked Legacy 2 where they kind of said, hey, when you're here on the, the island, because it's, you know, Outworld is more mystical, I guess, you know, you amplify your your abilities. So that's how yeah. like Liu Kang can shoot fire and Johnny Cage can do shadow kicks. But it didn't explain why Sub-Zero on Earth could shoot fire, uh, ice balls, you know, free mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. So whereas this has a more um, legitimate reason explaining, um, you know, it, it's all it's all like, you know, bullshit logic. <laughs> but yeah. it works because they explain it to you and they say, look, this is the reason why you can do your special moves is because of this. And then we're going to we're going to train you so that you can go through it and then you have your special moves, whatever is unique to you. So hmm. I like that because one of the problems with the original movies was, you know, none of the um, none of the characters really had any special moves. The the Earth characters like mm -hmm. Liu Kang shot a fireball and did like the bicycle kick. But he wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't a very special effects heavy movie. So some of the fights didn't really feel like Mortal Kombat, mm. whereas whereas this does like you're going to see two characters fight and they have all their special moves. They're in an arena. It's going to feel like the video game, at least visually, Like you're awesome. going to watch it and go, that's Mortal Kombat. So you mentioned that uh, Cole was doing some training for his powers along with other characters that they were bringing in. Does that mean that there are all, like multiple other original characters along with Cole? No, no. I, I was actually referring to uh, Sonya and Kano. Ah, okay. All right. Yeah, because you follow, sense. like, it's essentially like an expanded cast as the movie goes along. Like, it starts with Cole, and then you'll get, you know, the next wave of characters, and then the next, and then it finally leads into the battle. So it's a journey. There's a, there's a full journey to get to where they need to go. And at certain points along the way is where, uh, like, it's natural, though. It's not like the, you know, he's like walking down the road and just sees like Liu Kang sitting there reading a newspaper. Cool, I was eating a bagel. <laughs> like, yeah, like, but it makes sense. And that's one of the reasons why uh, I mentioned at the beginning that, like, Greg Russo is a very good writer. Like, I enjoyed reading his screenplay. And whether or not you agree with his creative choices, which some of which could have been studio designated, the studio could have came to him and said, hey, you have to have this original character or you have to have the movie be like this. 
I, I kind of had this feeling that because it doesn't have uh, an exact tournament formula, if you know what I mean, like uh, like mm-hmm. characters slowly getting eliminated until you only have the champion. Uh, I kind of felt like maybe they forced Greg Russo to do the movie this way. Uh, so as not to uh, coincide with basically having the exact same plot as Enter the Dragon, which uh, they are trying to do a remake of. Oh, okay. yeah. So I was like, hmm. and that's that's owned by Warner Brothers. So I, <laughs> I could see how Warner Brothers is like, yeah, we want Enter the Dragon to have the classic tournament formula for a movie. So instead, we mm-hmm. need you to do it like this. So again, this is where there's the potential for studio politics to um, negatively impact a film because everyone, I think personally, everyone probably wants to see the classic uh, tournament formula for a movie that's supposed to adapt the first game. And then you add, and then you also have producers probably coming in knowing nothing about the games and saying, "Hey, could you add in this character over here? He mm-hmm. he just yeah. looks really cool." You know, and then that and that's the the kind of issues that you run into with uh producers that think they know best, but in in overall, I think they they did a really good job with it. So speaking of some of these other characters, we we know that um, we have Natara, of course, coming in, and she's going to be played by a uh, a woman who's mostly known as being a stunt double and doing uh, various stunts throughout movies. And there's also been talks of other characters coming in, like, of course, Reiko, Rain, Draman, and some of these people who their involvement in the script has kind of been leaked throughout all this. My question is, are these characters more so just going to be throwaway monsters that are just kind of inserted for fighting? Or do they have any kind of uh, lore around them? Uh, or are they just kind of be how Sub-Zero and Scorpion were, where they're these menacing characters that come in for individual fights? And he asks with specific focus on Rain. <clears throat> <laughs> or even even Ermac, too. But yeah, like, uh, is Rain even still in this script? Uh, no, he's at least in no. uh, the 2018 <laughs> He was actually the the fight scene that was cut. No, no, but no, it, <laughs> it made sense though because honestly, I didn't like because um, the 2016 version is the only version I know of that had Rain in. Uh, mm-hmm. He may have existed prior, but for whatever reason, the um, they decided to go with him where he just looks like liquid, like he's just oh. like water. Uh, uh-huh. The fight okay. scene was a really cool idea. Uh, the fight scene was a really cool idea. Yeah, he was described as like shifting water, wearing armor, that kind of like description. Okay, I'm suddenly glad he's not in it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there was a problem where I think they picked a lot of like the most unique and monstrous looking characters in order to make Outworld seem like it's a very demonic place. Like, mm-hmm. these yeah. are the villains because they have like, you know, four arms and wings and, you know, they're not even human. That's actually one question I wanted to ask you because, well, we've mentioned that uh, Nintara is confirmed, and then I'm not sure if you just confirmed whether or not Dramin was still in or removed. But it's weird that they're picking characters like this to get that point across when they're not actually from Outworld. And that, that again, goes down to where um, they shift around the mythology of the games in order to get uh, the kind of visual that they want to do. There's another character, which I actually completely forgot about, even though I was thinking about him earlier today. There is a certain character... I'm not going to I'm not going to mention who, but he's been leaked before, but I'm not going to 
actually say his name. He is going to be completely different than how he was in the games. Uh, Allegiance. Visually, I think he's going to look the same, but his purpose is to actually, he's mentioned as being similar to another movie character. And it's done this way because as soon as they said it, I'm like, okay, now I understand why they want this character in there. And that's when I first connected that they were doing all this to try and give each villain, each uh, enemy combatant their own unique look. Mm. Okay. Definitely something to think about. Along that same line, um, are Shang Tsung and Goro, are they going to be in this movie? And are they kind of having their same roles as in the original uh, storyline where they're uh, representatives of the tournament? Or are they, again, just going to kind of be thrown away uh, as this is the character that you're fighting in this scene? Um, I won't confirm anything about Goro, but as for Shang Tsung, because the 95 movie more or less took place in like one location, they were really able to uh, give Shang Tsung a lot of screen time. Uh, with this script, the 2016 version, Shang Tsung was barely in it. Uh, oh. In fact, I was like, oh my God, like, what are they even going to do with this character? How can you have an actor <laughs> try and make his own thing when he's early on the in it for like maybe 10 minutes? Yeah. Uh, so part of the rewrites with 2018 was the kind of, you know, and again, this was part of the reason why they gutted the the entire second act was to help uh, create a new pacing for the film, but also make room for expanded roles of characters. I will say that Jax was originally barely in the 2016 draft. In fact, I was very disappointed with how little he was in it. He's not my favorite character, but I liked what they were doing with him in the script. So from a writing point of view, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm liking this character. And then he's not in it the rest of the movie. This one, he's actually a big role. And uh, okay. with Shang Tsung, they've expanded his role. So he has more of a presence in this. I don't think it's as as much as maybe uh, Shang Tsung in 95. But they've at least given uh, Chin Han more of an opportunity to try and, you know, do his own thing. So hopefully he's not being compared to Kerry Haruki Tagawa, which I think mm -hmm. is going to happen regardless, but at least they're giving him more material. Otherwise, I think it would end up like the first Legacy series where Shang Tsung was very, very little, had very little presence, yeah. and it, he looked very weak as an actor compared to Kerry Haruki Tagawa because you didn't have that that presence of him woven throughout that series. I feel like Chin Han is a very good choice, though, so I'm hoping that they don't, like, as you said, they're probably giving him more and everything. Thing, but it would be a shame to see him compared. They did a much better job between the drafts actually deepening his character. Like uh, his lines don't come out as corny. Uh, the, the 2016 draft, he was evil for evil's sake. And I don't know, it felt like very cringy. And then with the, the rewrites for 2018, they were able to give him more screen time. They actually explain why they want to take over Earthrealm. And, you know, it, it's it's interesting. Like it's I was like, OK, like it, it wasn't quite there of making him relatable. Like, I, I feel like uh, the way Kerry Haruki Tagawa used to explain Shang Tsung in interviews about he's like, you know, I was human and I got seduced by the power. And, you know, I, I could have been Liu Kang, but I chose a different path like that kind of uh, approach to the character. Uh, this version isn't that deep as what Kerry Haruki Tagawa was trying to explain Shang Tsung to reporters during interviews. Yeah. 
but it's getting there. So I'm hoping that was an area that Greg Russo in the January draft and maybe even throughout the production was like, hey, you know, Chin Han, he's a great actor. We're going to we got some ideas for stuff. Uh, the part of the process of making a film, it's constantly uh, evolving. And, you know, because you have input from the director, which was probably the uh, the January rewrites. So you had uh, the director, he got hired and was like, hey, I have some ideas too. Uh, I'd like to try and work these into the movie. Maybe this doesn't work for the filming, so we can change this scene and replace it with that. So I, so you'll have his input, and then you have the producer's input, and then you'll have the costume designers uh, probably come up with really cool ideas. And then you'll have uh, the special effects teams come up with really cool ideas, and the set designers will be like, hey, we really love the pit too, but we want to throw in these unique ideas. We're going to bring in... Uh, this like really cool concept that we saw once in a piece of artwork. And we're going to add that. And that's how you get this, um, this entire team coming together to make a movie. So I'm hoping that maybe Chin Han is like, Hey, I have some ideas for this character. I want to try and uh, work this into the story. If we can, hopefully uh, that entire word salad. <laughs> helped. <laughs> Uh, I did want to ask, you mentioned earlier uh, about Kano. Um, now, considering Kano's apparent role, is he not Black Dragon? I mean, have we confirmed Cabal is in the script? And if so, what is happening with the Black Dragon? In the drafts I read, they didn't, ha- they didn't have any of the organizations from the game. Mm, okay that means like no no special forces or anything like that either they they do kind of mention special forces but from what i gathered was like sonia is essentially a wall uh so you don't get to see her with like teams of special forces agents uh the one thing that they the one thing that they did do that i was really happy about was in the 2016 draft they made jacks a like swat team member so Hmm. kind of like that leftover from when uh kevin tantrum yeah because you know he had this obsession with making them all cops rather than keeping with the special forces element uh mm. so they they kind of brought that back you know this idea of military uh for those characters and kano is like a mercenary he's done like some really shady things and he even like lists different stuff uh like you know he's he does assassinations gun running he does like all this different nefarious black market stuff uh but they don't mention that he's a part of any specific criminal organization okay and does this lack of factions relate to the linkway and shirayu as well they they are not mentioned in the script interesting but but if you think about it they weren't mentioned in any of the threshold entertainment movies either Mm-hmm. So it at times it almost feels like they're they're trying to adapt. It's almost like a remake of the first movie. You know, when you hear about like some of the changes that they did in the first movie that wasn't accurate to the games. And then it'll be like, oh, it's almost like they decided to remake the first movie with CC Stringer playing Melina. Nobody's able to really confirm if Katana is actually going to be in this movie. Do we see Katana at all? Is she played by CC Stringer or is that? Uh, another one of these background characters that we're not really going to experience uh no she's a background character and again it's it came down to like uh greg russo actually explained it that he could only do like so many characters in a movie and actually give them justice and while i don't feel like they should have put melina in this without uh katana um i feel like all of that should have been saved for a sequel because that's when you bring in Shao Kahn, you bring in Katana mm-hmm. Molina, and then you can actually address more of the history of Outworld. 
but it was still really cool to see Molina in this and uh, watch her fight. Uh, But I was like, yeah, if they had kind of put in Katana and tried to get into that, I think it would have really started putting pressure on the runtime to try and do it justice because, you know, even the the two movies that they did barely even covered anything. In fact, they the uh, Annihilation didn't even cover that they were sisters. Yeah, that's true. No, it's just a mud fight. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so, I mean, she's just going to be background then, but I'm assuming that means her absence is sort of explained in a way. Yeah, well, I mean, kind of. You know, it just depends on what they want to go with because there's two different things in the scripts, you know, but I just kind of get the idea that she's probably with her adopted father, you know, mm-hmm. you know, being his bodyguard or whatever. Like, that. that would be my guess is that she's probably just back in Outworld, serving under Shao Kahn. Or maybe they'll try and, you know, go a different route. With uh, the way this movie is, there's any possibilities for uh, for where they'll go with the sequel. In yeah. fact, uh, looking at it, the, the more I read it, the more I was very open with them, like for a sequel, not trying to adapt Mortal Kombat 2. To be like, just go out there in your own direction, because at the, uh, you know, at the end of the movie, when you finish reading it, if for everyone else listening, when you finish watching it you're at least gonna yeah there, there's a lot of stuff that's not accurate to the games but i don't think you're ever gonna walk away from this and say like you're a fan of kano yeah he's not black dragon but you're gonna walk away from the movie going yeah that's completely the reason why i love kano and yeah. same thing with um sub-zero like i mentioned before mm-hmm. and Liu kang and kung lao like i i wasn't much of a kung lao fan this made me a kung lao fan Awesome. Basically, you mentioned a while back that you were quite disappointed with what's happened to Scorpion. Is it anything specific that you well, can that, say about that? That was uh, based on the 2016 draft, which they've, okay. they've completely like done away with. Scorpion wasn't actually a character in the 2016 version. Now, not, oh, now, wow. now I'm not going to elaborate on what they did with the 2018 version. Um, like, I'm not going to talk about like how much he's in the script, uh, how he connects into the story. I want to let all that be a surprise. But the thing that mm-hmm. probably caused the greatest amount of uh, hatred for this movie is uh, I did mention about how they basically made Cole Turner turn into Scorpion. That oh, wow. the originals? Yeah, yeah in, 2016? in 2016. The the climax and- was when he gets his powers. Um, he there. <sighs> I'm trying to think of a way to essentially get you to feel the way I did. <laughs> Uh, by describing how this just what you said already did it <laughs> but, uh, yeah. well, no, like uh, essentially there's a character one of the enemies uh is attacking someone and cole is pleading with his arm outstretched like you know no please don't don't kill them and mm-hmm. they show the enemy and then suddenly this like spear comes through his chest <laughs> and then they cut back to Cole and he's like back on his feet and he has like it's coming out of his wrist. Oh, and he's just like my. and then they and then of course they did the get over here. And it, <laughs> I was like, oh like uh, uh <laughs> it's, 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 it's bringing I, back like PTSD reading that thing. Like, I, <laughs> I wonder if that's um Remnants of Kevin's script because in his uh what was it Mortal Kombat uh, not Legacies but before Rebirth. that um Rebirth yeah he had the main character actually end up being Scorpion as the little twist at the end of that you know um, that's little series. that's always possible while the uh, the 2016 version it kind of felt unified in terms of like basic writing 
it didn't mm-hmm. feel like it was very well connected together again due mm-hmm. to like five mm-hmm. different writers with different ideas and that's why i kept saying you know once greg russo was given complete control and they said look you got to kind of keep this basic idea like you can't scrap the entire story but you can fix it and kind of do your own thing you know he did a good job of going back through saying we don't need this scene this idea is stupid but we're going to work with the basic structure and go with this. And he did a very good job of actually making the the story work. But and uh, it's like the first thing he took out was, nope, Cole is not Scorpion. <laughs> right. That's a very good decision. I mean, honestly, the more the more you tell us about Greg Russo's decisions. I mean, I was already I'm critical of the movie, but from what I've seen of Greg Russo, I'm quite happy with the direction he's been taking. And the more I hear from you about it, the more interested and confident I am in what we're going to get. The more the more I followed Greg Russo on Twitter and in seeing the stuff that he's tweeted out, the more I become kind of confident in what he's producing because he actually is a Mortal Kombat fan. Exactly. So at least we have that going for us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, it's really hard to find someone who is a fan of the games, but also talented in what they're doing. So like and what I mean by that is it's really easy to find a, a fan who's like, I wrote a script and it's just fan fiction. And it's really easy to find someone who can write a very good script, but they're not a fan. But to have both mm-hmm. of those categories where the boxes are checked, the that's a rarity. I think yeah. uh, I think the only other time it's really happened was uh, Silent Hill with Christoph Gaines uh, because he he loved the game so much he was playing it while they were filming. Like they they would actually mm-hmm. like stop filming or stop writing. They said uh, it was writing um the the writer that was with him they would play the game for like the first half of the day and then write the rest of the day and that's all they did like that's how much of a fan they were that's and, how it should be wow. and paul w yeah. anderson says he's a fan of resident evil but uh i <laughs> i think i think i think what it is is he liked playing the games but he didn't care about any of the lore story and i think yeah, yeah. i think maybe to an extent greg russo understands the lore but as a writer he's like this doesn't work for what i want to do i think he mm-hmm. might be a really big fan of the gameplay, which is, you know, that's fine, too. At least someone's played the the games. Mm-hmm. But I don't think he's like, you know, a scholar of Mortal Kombat where he's like, oh, yeah, you know, and, and goes down into like deep details and can tell you the exact rate, uh, exact age of Liu Kang when he fought Mortal Kombat and how many years it's been between Mortal Kombat 1 and 11 and be able to give you all these tiny tidbits. I don't think he's anywhere close to that. But I think he's a really big fan of what Mortal Kombat is. And that itself, I'll take that over someone who's like, oh, Mortal Kombat, that makes money. And they jump yeah. on it just <laughs> to be like, I'm going to make money. Not for sure. <laughs> I did want to ask, are there any specific characters you would have liked to have seen in casting? I'll give a twofold answer because there's, there's probably two. One is kind of hokey, but I'll go with it. I would have really liked to have seen probably Ermac. I think that would have been fun to see. I think they could have maybe worked them in. But again, it gets down to they already have more than one ninja in it. Uh, but I I like I liked Ermac uh, back in the ultimate MK3 days. And the other character, not for this movie, but I would love to see him maybe in the sequel or third movie, you know, is uh, Aaron Black. I mean, if they're if they're going to just start throwing characters in and saying, hey, you know, this is a different timeline. This isn't, uh, 
you know, the, the, the original classic timeline, we're doing our own thing, then I want to see other characters from some of the newer games show up. Like, personally, I'd be okay with Devorah showing up in, like, the second or third movie just because she has a really cool design to her. And I'd love yeah. to see... I would. I think if they were to adapt Mortal Kombat 3, I think Aaron Black, visually, would work really well in that. Just to see him, like, in the, the endless desert, like, Jade's Desert, like, going towards, yes. like, a dilapidated city. And the fact that he has a unique fighting style, that's what would be cool is to see him. Like, can you imagine them actually doing the live action, like trick shots that he does and getting to see that visually on the big screen? Those would look pretty cool for sure. Yeah. Like just and like if they could work that in, you know, like say like he has a arch nemesis in it, you know, for whatever their plot purposes are. And you just see him like write that person's name on a bullet. And then he gets to use that <laughs> at the climax, you know, like to kind of tie that into his uh, X-ray move to see something like that. Like, yeah. like to me, because I, I love Aaron Black. I love playing as him when I get a, a chance to play uh, 10 and 11. But visually, he would look cool no matter what Mortal Kombat movie you put him in. And, you know, again, it doesn't go with the lore, doesn't go with the timeline. But if they're just going to throw characters in. That's the character I would love to see is Aaron Black. Could actually work with the lore now that you think about it, because I mean, if it's if they're changing everything to be all outworld focused, he is an outworld. And one thing, I, and one thing I should mention too about them changing lore is yes, you won't hear the terms Lin Kuei and Shirai Ryu, mm -hmm. but they also don't replace it with anything. That's good. So yeah. it's there that they can expand on it at a later date. It's the same thing with the Black Dragon. They don't mention them, but they, they don't say that Kano is something else. And it leaves it there so that in the sequel, if they want to go in that direction, they can plop that in. Like the, the main thing that they do with this movie, and it's what I really love, is it makes you feel like you're being introduced to Mortal Kombat for mm. the first time. Yeah, and learning about it as you go through it. Yeah, one of the disappointments I have at being a fan of like big properties like that, like Mortal Kombat, Resident Evil, Final Fantasy, is you eventually get to a point where you just know so much lore that everything is kind of boring, you know? Like it, it doesn't have that fresh, adventurous feel of discovering something for the first time, especially when it comes to Mortal Kombat, because we know how much uh, the early games had like so many rumors and Ed mm -hmm. just loved them so much, you know, to keep the rumors going. But this movie kind of brings back that feel like I feel like it Raiden in this is a closer representation of how I felt Raiden was in the original two games. It, All right. it has like and, he's not just the uh, um, Christopher Lambert like, hey, I'm going to crack jokes and be supportive <laughs> and I'm just going to be this really groovy God, you know, like <laughs> it gives new fans a good jumping on point. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I think you'll see some really cool takes on the characters and. Even though it does do some some things differently, I still feel that at the end of the day, each character is treated with respect. And, and, and that's bigger than I think if they were to follow the lore, because Mortal Kombat Annihilation did not respect the characters. The Resident Evil movie, mm -hmm. the Resident Evil movies did not respect the characters. And again, getting into uh, something that was discussed at the very, very beginning with uh, the character Alice constantly outdoing the game characters or making them look subpar to her. This movie doesn't do that with Cole. And it's kind of yeah. hard to explain it without getting into it. But every single character gets at least one really cool moment. And most of the time they're giving multiple 
moments to shine. They get the spotlight. They get to do really cool stuff. And Cole is not there outdoing them. He's just our guide into this world. And while we do follow his story and we uh, we follow his reactions to how he is experiencing this journey and the, the movie is kind of about him, it still keeps like a team mentality by uh, the third act. So you get to go see these characters and they are holding their own against other opponents and they're doing all their moves. They're doing fatalities. Like it's going to feel like Mortal Kombat. And I love that. And I love that part of it. And that's what makes me feel like Greg Russo is a really good writer because he understands how to make a, a a main character work in a movie without trashing all the other characters just to make your character look cool. That's so great to hear. Yeah, And your answer actually um, gives rise to, well, two of the questions I wanted to ask you. Uh, one was, you mentioned Ermac. Are there any other of Shao Kahn's creations turning up, such as, say, Scarlet? Uh, no, no. They they have, a like I said before, they have a very limited amount of characters. Uh, some of them are just used as combatants, which I'm okay for, because I think some of the characters... You'll be like, oh, OK, I understand why they wouldn't elaborate on that character with the story arc, but they don't have a lot of background characters, at least written in the script. Now, if they maybe when they do some outworld scenes, maybe you'll see someone that'll probably depend on the director, maybe Greg Russo being like, hey, this would be cool if maybe Scarlet's walking in the background or, you know, something like that. Uh they yeah. do have they have nods to other characters too. You will see if you're paying attention, you're gonna see nods to other characters as long as they follow the basics of this script. Do we see any Mortal Kombat X or Eleven characters or mentioned at all? Mm, no, there's no none from the newer games. Uh, I would say off the top of my head, I think the most current game that characters were introduced in would be like deadly alliance so you don't see, oh, nice. yeah you don't see anyone from deception or uh 10 or 11 in there but as pointed out during a um a leak of some of the sets for the outdoor city scenes which would be um probably connected with where the gym dojo areas for lewis tan's character uh, mm -hmm. they had they snuck in on like signs in the background for some of the businesses. They actually do have um, one of the character names from Mortal Kombat 11 uh, on a sign. Now, I don't know if they're actually going to show that in the movie or if it's um, going to allow them to even allow the audience to even see it. But they are going to have the um, signs in the background with some of the character names. I know Sindel was mentioned and I okay. think it's I think it's Geras. Gears had it's like Gears is gyros like uh, they have that <laughs> I don't know if based on how they film is it, that a Gears reference or an Avengers reference though <laughs> with the shawarmas I, I'm hoping I'm hoping it's more of a Mortal Kombat one but uh, yeah I don't know based on how they're they're gonna film it whether it'll be far in the background for some of the fans to pick up or whether they're gonna use say like a wide angle lens and diffuse the background so that you can't even see it anyway. I think that was something, yeah. but that kind of shows you the kind of love that uh, the people working on the movie, the crew, cast and crew have for this this game that they're willing to put these like little tiny nods. Easter like, it kinda, yeah, yeah, it kind of reminds me of like Mortal Kombat 3 when you see uh, 
what is it? Boone and Tobias's names is like the the street exits in the subway. Yeah, so it, it has those kind of nods to it, like that tongue in cheek, like we know what we're doing kind of feel. Okay, Brandon, is there anything that you'd like to plug uh, before we head into Well, I wish I still had my YouTube channel, but I am probably if we, uh, you ever have me back on again, probably by that time, I'll be able to plug some stuff. I am a um, filmmaker. I am starting out mm -hmm. again. I've been studying for years, finally got around to uh, getting some projects lined up. So I do have a project in the works that uh, is going to be going in the production very soon i'm hoping to have it done by the end of the year and uh for i'll say that the only thing i'll say about it is that it connects to something i was talking about in this in this podcast so i'll leave it at that but i All do right. have a i do have a really cool project that's in the works and it's one of those things that's very personal to me i'm very passionate about um but yeah, I love filmmaking. I do not have any sort of social media outside of Facebook. And that, that was <laughs> and that was just because I, I was into like that YouTube mindset for a couple of years. And it started to get mm -hmm. to the point where uh, it is basically burnout. But I, I, yeah. I was getting to the point where I was uploading content because I got to feed the algorithm. And I was getting yeah. very upset with myself about that. So I've, <laughs> I've actually decided to go and do my passion, which is actually film. And it's one of the reasons why I collect screenplays. I uh, uh, I talk, you know, do reviews. And I talk about movies so much. It's because I'm very passionate about films and I'm trying to pursue that career. So hopefully Warner Brothers won't ruin it, you know. <laughs> don't work with this he's, guy he's giving us positive news guys <laughs> but no but no the uh i'm really excited to kind of take that journey and it's been really amazing over the last five months i think it's been that i've been on it like i've actually been meeting people and making contacts and uh getting to talk to people i thought i'd never be able to talk to before <laughs> So I'm hoping that when I'm back on here again, that uh, I'll be able to actually tell people about everything I've been doing. And hopefully I'll be able to uh, um, talk with you about the movie when it releases. Oh, yeah. I would love to have you back on and talk about that. That'd be great. Definitely need to do a, a sort of follow up. Because by that time, you know, once the movie releases, I am not going to care about, you know, the, the prior script. You know, so I'll actually <laughs> yeah. be able to go into depth and actually show you exactly, you know, this is what it was originally supposed to be versus the uh, the final product. And I, I've been wanting to do that ever since I originally got both screenplays was to finally do a comparison to show people the uh, filmmaking process and show them just how much visually things can change. Right. Well, yeah, looking forward great. to that we for love sure. It. Uh, did want to ask, what is your favorite finisher in the games? Uh, well, I think personally, the I have two. I'll say for the newer games, my favorite is uh, Johnny Cage's finisher, where he like tears them apart and kind of does the shining reference, where he's like, "Here's Johnny," <laughs> like that. Yeah, that I laughed hysterically about when they first showed it. <laughs> That's uh, a great my, one. My all time favorite finisher as stupid as what it is and it, it's more of like a, a nostalgia thing connects back into memories but uh mortal kombat 4 quan chi was my favorite character i absolutely loved uh you know evil uncle fester is what i <laughs> you know, he's like evil uncle fester uh i loved his moves like he was this like very irritating character and i loved tormenting my friends with him 
So I love I actually jump thing. (laughs) Yeah, I I absolutely loved his finisher where he like just tears your leg off and then beats you (laughs) up with it, and it's so comical and over the top and like so fast paced. The uh, it was basically that it brought me a lot of joy, I should say. Just like um, uh, my favorite move of his was the teleport stomp, and I oh. My my friends would rage quit over that because I would just time it so right, and it was just constant, you know. And the great thing about Mortal Kombat Four was the uh, the funny like gibberish that they say yes, because like it was get, amazing. Yeah, and I, I, we used to like mock each other like doing those voices and like trying to say uh, like how they pronounce it, or we'd like make up words. To say like what they're like, uh, I always remember like we we still do it nowadays too. This is how how much it's ingrained in us. But if uh, for example, if I play Raiden, uh, and I do the uh, the torpedo, I'll uh, I'll be like you suck, 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 suck. You know, like, <laughs> like we'll do that over and over. You suck, suck, suck. <laughs> on our on one of our most recent episodes, we actually had uh, a Donnie Maropus on, and he played Quan Chi in the TV series. Yeah. And we were telling him about that Quan Chi fatality, and he was so surprised to hear it. It was great. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I got to listen to part of that, but I was really loving the fact that you were uh, talking to some of the uh, the cast from Mortal Kombat Conquest, which is uh, I just recently bought the DVD set. I, I actually have a lot of nostalgic love for that. Um, it's so underrated. It's, it, 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 it's, yeah. very, it's very cheesy. It's very uh, 90s. It's very dated and low budget, but mm-hmm. there's a there's a charm to it, you know. Because yes. and part of the problem part of the problem that I have with this new film is the same problem I have with a lot of a lot of newer films. It's the idea that you have to do everything dark, you know, because they're yeah. pushing like, oh, this is gonna be blood, gore, rated R. We're gonna have fatalities, and you know, the '95 movie didn't really have fatalities, but mm-hmm. it's still beloved. And yes. part of that was because the respect that the filmmakers had for the games. And it also kind of kept that cheesy charm that the original games had, because even though they had fatalities and blood and, you know, people were raising torches and pitchforks for the game developers <laughs> for making such a game. But there there was a lot of like cheesy, funny things about those games originally. And it feels like yeah, yeah. It, it kind of feels like the game series itself is going more and more darker with uh, the advancement in graphics and stuff. So I'm hoping that this movie keeps some of that, because one of the things that makes Mortal Kombat Conquest so enjoyable is because that cheesy charm it has directly connects to how the games feel, especially when you look at the first uh-huh. the first four games, which were its own storyline, its own uh, type of video game. It's like with uh, Deadly Alliance and on that kind of started the next chapter of how they felt Mortal Kombat should be. And then, yeah. and then, of course, with um, the reboot of Mortal Kombat, that's when they kind of settled into their modern, their current type of what they feel Mortal Kombat is. So I'm really yeah. hoping that this movie kind of has at least some of that. I'm hoping they have at least little nods to how cheesy Mortal Kombat can be. Because, I mean, we're talking about a video game that has essentially demigod kung fu people that mixes like American stereotypes with robots, vampires, sorcerers, demons. Like there's so much stuff 
That's beautiful. You, when you think, yeah, when you think <laughs> about, you know, they, they just added Clint Eastwood to it, you know, uh, just all those different types of characters and the, the absurdity of it. Like, I'm hoping they don't go too dark and then they kind of box themselves in a corner where they eventually are like, well, we're this is so depressing now that we feel like robot ninjas just don't work out anymore. <laughs> I've actually been saying that to Phantom for a while now, how people are, for some reason, associating MK with just specifically R-rated or gore, whereas MK for me has always been over the top. That was what it was, you know? Mm-hmm. And overall, I mean, I'm much more excited to see this movie after speaking to you and, yes. and hearing a little bit more about these previous scripts than, than I was going into it. So thank you for joining us today. We really do appreciate having you on the well, show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciated uh, the invite and I re- really enjoyed this talk. So I'm hoping uh, I'll get to talk to you again. That would be great. Oh, yeah. definitely. And thank you to all of our listeners for stopping by today. Special thanks to Uppercut Editions for their continued support. You can find them at Encyclopedia MK on Twitter and the Mortal Kombat Encyclopedia Project on Facebook. You can find Yanni and myself, Phantom, on the Mortal Kombat group on Facebook, as well as Yanni on the Mortal Kombat Meme Realm. You can catch up on all episodes of the Realmcast on YouTube, Facebook, iTunes, and Spotify. Thank you. Scorpion and Sub-Zero. Deadliest of enemies. Put slaves under my power.